So uh, a, couple, a couple things just by way of, of uh, information. I, I have a, a bit of a habit of reading news. And I always like to read news for like the stupid article of the day or the dumb thing people did because the rest of the news just discourages me. So I'm always looking for something to put a smile on my face. Um, I came across recently a, a, a history of coffee. And I don't know if you knew that coffee has such a jaded history. Did you know that? Any of you know that? No. Because coffee is readily available. Um, coffee in Mecca, in the Middle East, was banned in 1511 as it was believed to stimulate radical thinking and hanging out. The governors thought it might unite in his, his opposition, so Java also got a bad rap for its use as a stimulant. So um, some of the Sufi sects would pass around bowls of coffee at funerals to stay awake during prayer. Um, note to Starbucks. Anyway, um, that's not why we serve coffee here, but I never thought of the great benefit of people staying awake during a sermon. You know, who, do you think that was like the history there? In Italy, because you think like coffee was great in Europe, in Italy, when coffee arrived in Europe in the 16th century, clergymen pressed for it to be banned and labeled satanic. Good thing I wasn't a pastor then. I'd be like the radical, no, it's God's gift to the world. Anyway, uh, Pope Clement VIII took a taste, declared it delicious, and even quipped that it should be baptized. On the strength of this papal blessing, coffee houses rapidly sprung up throughout Europe. Uh, you want to hear a couple more of these? Here, my favorite is Sweden, okay? I told you these are fun. These are great. Sweden gave... Uh, coffee and axe in 1746 and uh, and and um, let me give, give you a hold on I'll, I'll give you a little bit more detail about Sweden because Sweden was really fun so um, in 1670 uh, because of the uh, popularity of coffee um, they found out about 1746 the king imposed a hefty hefty tax on this popular beverage coffee which the Swedes refused to pay. Ten years later, coffee was banned from Sweden, though that didn't stop the locals from continuing to drink it. Higher taxes were imposed on coffee, leading to a black market type of situation. Uh, can you imagine the guys going, you got some coffee? You know, like <laughs> shady, shady deals outside the back, you know? How much did it go for a pound? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, leading to this black market. So uh, King Gustav III, a rather paranoid monarch, had this fear that coffee consumption caused health problems, but he also worried that the secret coffee meetups would lead to plans to overthrow the monarchy. So he decided to use science to ban coffee. He, set, um, he, he took a set of twins, and, and uh, had one twin, uh, so there were two, these two twins, uh, basically they'd been condemned to death, so he took them out of prison and he asked them to be a part of a, a living science experiment. And he said, um, so they, they could get out, but one of the twins would drink three pots of tea daily for the rest of his life, while the other would drink three pots of coffee daily. In an ironic here we go. Both twins outlived the doctors monitoring their health. And the king, 
was assassinated in 1792 prior to the results being revealed. But the irony doesn't stop there. The tea drinker actually died first at a whooping 83 years old, while the coffee drinking twin continued to live. Um, understandably, there are multiple failures to ban coffee, and then it skyrocketed in about 1820. So, uh, and now if you read, you know, I know coffee companies pay lots of money to have people to do studies to prove the health benefits, and one recent article said that you have less um, heart problems if you're a regular coffee drinker. And uh, I, I like it, because in my house, my wife doesn't drink coffee, so I get all the coffee I want. And um, but she, and she's loving enough to buy it, you know, I don't have to. And then I have a son-in-law who works for a coffee shop, and I get some really good coffee sometimes, you know. So, um, and here's, here's the funny thing. Uh, why, what does coffee have to do about God's word? The, the reality is, is that people have tried to ban God's word. I don't, I don't know if you know, but today, it, you know, it's forbidden in many places. That, so you have people like Brother Andrew who passed recently. He was a Dutch, uh, started a, a mission encouraging the persecuted church. And he would take Bibles into China and into the former Soviet Union where people were not allowed to have Bibles and to read Scripture. And he's really funny. He, he says he, he's got these great stories, and you can read them. They've got books. They've got videos. And uh, he, he was so interesting. He would go in with his car, and he would have Bibles hidden in his car, and he would say to Jesus beforehand, he would say, Jesus, you, you open the eyes of the blind. I'm just asking for you to blind the eyes so they can't see. And he goes, he goes one time, he goes, I had, I had um, two guys standing there looking me in the face, seeing if I looked nervous. I had another two with, like, dogs outside my car, another two that were searching my car over, under. He goes, and they never saw the Bibles. I think this was getting into the Soviet bloc. And one of the just amazing things is that there are, you know, it's like we have total access to Scripture, but most of us don't open it and read it. And others don't have access to Scripture. And sometimes having that very Bible, they can, get in, they can be in prison. They can, um, you know, even, even die for it. And they treasure God's word. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean to hear God's word in the Bible. And again, if you're, if you're with us and you're new, either online or here, we're, we're using this book as a template, but I'm not parroting this book on Sunday mornings. You ha I'm intentionally steering around it because I think it's a wonderful book and I want you to read it. Okay, so I'm, when I'm preaching on Sunday morning, we'll compliment what's written here, but I'm doing my very best not to just take a message from that chapter, but use these themes. So we're talking about hearing God's word. And um, there are two key texts for this, and the one is this. It's Hebrews 4.12, which says, The word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. That's Hebrews 4.12. talks about how amazing God's word is, and we'll unpack that in a little bit. And then 2 Timothy 3.15 and 16 says this, 
And this is Paul writing to his protege is the one he's mentoring that he was the spiritual father the Bible says to Timothy and it says from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus all scripture is God breathed and is useful for instruction for conviction for correction and for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be completely fully equipped for every good work and isn't it amazing when you read God's word that that part of reading God's word is not so that we go we can say hey do you know what the Hebrew means to that or do you know what the Greek means you you know I I do that because I think some of you that are you know, fives on the Enneagram, some of you that love these little tidbits of knowledge, you know, oh, did you know this? They, you, some people just long for that little tidbit. Can I hear something in this sermon that I've never heard before? You know, oh, did you know? But, well, you know what? The, the, the reality is, is God's word is not intended just to have us sit there and go, I've got the biggest head in the world. It's not intended just to be a cerebral understanding. It's intended to produce action in the lives of God's people. It's living and active. The theme for this whole series is out of John, the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, where he says, my sheep hear my voice. And what does it say after that? And follow. And follow. That's the amazing thing. So the Bible is a living book. The Bible is a, 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 a living book. I remember the, the first time my eyes became alive to the Scripture, and I started reading the Scripture. I've told this story before, how my twin brothers just started reading the Bible morning, noon, and night. It was the weirdest thing. The Gideons, I don't know if they still do, but the Gideons would give out Bibles, and they would give out these little pocket New Testaments, and you could stick one of those in your pocket. Now you have, like, a pocket, you know, library here. You could read it in many languages. You can do it. I mean, but back in our day... There were no smartphones. They, they, phones were on a cord on the wall, if you can picture this, and then you could never, like, you had to walk and stay tethered to a cord, right? And then what you would do is if, like, your brother or if you're a family with sisters and they were talking to their girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, you could pick up the other line really quietly and you could listen in, you know? Not that any of you would do that, no, that, there's enough laughs here that I know some of your history now. So you get like eavesdrop on their phone calls. You can't do that on these devices, you know? I mean, that would be like a major threat. But back in our day, yeah. They even had, when phones were early on, you could have a cheaper line. They called it a party line. And you could share lines with neighbors. Think how fun that would be. Like your neighbors could pick up the phone and listen to you, you know? I mean, it sounds scandalous, but this was the, this was, you know, think about this. This was when phones came in, this was the advent of, of communicating across a distance before you had to go walk to your neighbors or, you know, they had the pony riders with the letters, you know, running across America. I mean, this was radical technology. And the Bible says that, that, his word 
is living and active. And I remember first reading the Bible, and I would sit there, and I would, I remember being in the, the, the little library at my high school, and we'd have these little cubicles, and I'd have my little pocket New Testament going. And, and, I, and I remember reading passages, and I would just go, what the heck? Did they misprint this? Why is this print darker? You know, why is this print? It's like somebody printed it in bold, and the rest was was there and and what was printed in bold was really convicting to me so i was like why is my bible bolding in the parts where i need to like change and repent what is going on this is a real story and and i would just go wow that's whew, yeah, that's a tough one you know and i'd be reading that and and then i would go back to it and it wouldn't be bolded and be like what is wrong with my bible you know and and the holy spirit would use that's why the bible says it's living it's like it's like that's weird that's completely weird and but the holy spirit would would do this he would he would speak to me through his word and uh so during the pandemic i i just felt this need to get away and get alone with with jesus and i was telling uh, rebecca about that and she loves finding things on the internet and she's like hey i found this little campground this guy's got in you know in you know southern ohio and you could go down there and you just it's by this little pond and and just hang out you know and and you just i can't remember if i even needed to bring a sleeping bag and yeah, i was gonna fast so i didn't even need to bring food and the nice thing about fasting when it's hot is you don't get so hot because you're like there's nothing really to burn so you can be it was hot but i didn't know it my body was really happy and um and so I went down there just because I knew my soul needed to be alone with Jesus. And, and, it, was, and it, was a, it was a wonderful time. But, but so you get settled, you get, you know, settled in your little the camp. And, and I open the Bible. And I'm, and I'm all of a sudden just drawn. And I don't always, I don't really advocate sort of the opening and read kind of thing. But it was very funny what happened to me. I opened it. And, um, and my eyes fell to this passage in Hosea. And I'm sitting there, and it's quiet, and there's nobody around. And he says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. And he's speaking of Israel. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And here, I'm like, I'm in the middle of these woods. No one's around. And I've looked for wilderness passages in the Bible, and I'm like, God, I don't, I've never read that one before. Well, I probably had, because I read through the Bible, but I never remembered reading that before. And the Lord was just saying, no, I see you in the woods, and I brought you here, because I want to speak tenderly to your heart. The only way these things can happen is if this Bible's living. The Bible, God uses it in so many powerful ways. But one way is he just highlights a passage and it like it gets on inside you. And sometimes we'll cry, sometimes we'll weep, sometimes he'll call us to repentance. It's because the Bible is a living word. It's the word of God is alive and active 
And it's the word logos. And think about it this way. The word logos is the same word that the, in the Gospel of John where he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So that when we have these moments of encounter with Scripture, with the Logos, we actually are encountering Jesus in the word. And so when the Bible says the word is alive, it's because Jesus works with the Scriptures to speak into our lives and to touch our very lives. And there's no other book like that. It judges our thoughts and our attitude of our heart. Helen Keller said this, unless we form the habit of going to the Bible in bright moments as well as troubled, we cannot fully respond to its consolation because we lack the equilibrium between the light and the darkness. So Pastor Jack Wellman said this, when we examine when you examine the Word of God, the Word of God examines you. And you like that? When you examine the Word of God, the Word of God examines you. One of the things before we move on is that, is that you need to realize that sometimes people think, oh, the, something negative about the Bible or it turns people into fanatics. What the, what the Bible truly does, because Jesus is using the Bible, is, is he, it's making us become the truth selves that God created us to be. You know, if, if, if you end up becoming more legalistic, that's not because Jesus is telling you to be legalistic. That's because part of your humanity aligns with legalism and somehow you, you have not got off the treadmill and entered the gospel of grace. And you think somehow by observing certain rules and certain laws that you are going to be more pleasing to God. And God's like, good luck with that one. You know? Because we, we come in through the, the doorway of faith, faith and grace. And we never leave that place. So even our obedience is contingent upon the very grace of God that brought us to him. Could I have an amen to that? So I want to something else, you know, when you read the Bible and some people struggle with the Old Testament and some of the things that happened, you need to realize over and over and over, the Bible is written to point us to Jesus, to give us enough to have faith in Jesus. It's not going to answer all your questions. In fact, in my world, the more I've studied, the more questions I have. Like, great. But, but it gives you enough information to come into a life-giving, living relationship with Jesus. And, and I love this passage where he, Paul says, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. And you go, what's that about? And you need to realize that the Apostle Paul could have used the word technon. Now I'm giving a little bit of Greek for those that like a little knowledge in their head because that's the Greek word for child. He go, oh, from being a little five-year-old and learning to hear the Bible read or your, you know, grandma and grandpa or your auntie, you know, uh, quote scripture to you, you've known the Holy Scriptures. He goes, no, he uses the word pedo in the Greek, you know, it's where we, you know, whatever, pediatrician, you know, it's where we get that. It's, it's the word infant. How from infancy 
You have known the Holy Scriptures. Some people see a reference to infant baptism in this passage, if you're in certain historic churches. Others will talk about how, wait a second, there is something amazing with God's Word that even as an infant, before they understand, it can have a difference. Why? Because the Bible says it's alive, it's active. So you get to pray over your kids. Speak to them in the womb. Bless them and speak the word of God to them. I love this passage. He says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. This is Jesus speaking. All that the prophets have spoken did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses, okay, that's the Torah, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, those are, those are the prophetic books, and they, they, you know, we have major and minor prophets. Did you know that when you studied the prophets? Do you know what makes them major and minor? Come on, somebody has to know this. What makes major prophets major and minor prophets minor? This is a great one. The size of their books. So Isaiah wrote more than Hosea, so he's a major prophet. You know, it, it's all about, so that's why the little prophets come at the end and the big prophets, because they get more writing. And so when you study theology, they go, well, we have the major and the minor prophets. Yeah, we know. We got the big and the little books, okay? But that's why they call them major and minor, all right? So Jesus starts with Moses, who wrote a lot, and then he, all the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, Jesus, when he was unpacking the Old Testament to those disciples on the road to Emmaus, he wasn't, he wasn't going, hey, you know, Moses really did this or that or trying to unpack and didn't answer all their questions related to the Bible. He showed them how the Old Testament pointed to him. And you and I, when we read Scripture, if we don't see it pointing to Jesus, we're missing the main thrust, the main intent of God's Word. Because God's Word is designed to bring us to faith in Jesus. It can teach us a lot of things outside of that. But it's designed. And, and if you don't believe me, this is Jesus. This is how Jesus unpacks Scripture after the resurrection to his disciples. So if I'm not preaching this, you should be bringing this passage to me going, hey, what about Jesus? I go, you're right. You're right. And so we read scripture to hear the voice of Jesus, for it to point us to Jesus. Uh, I like what John Stott said. The Bible is the portrait of Jesus Christ. The Bible is the portrait of Jesus Christ. John Owens, uh, pastor hundreds of years back, said this. He said, we shall not benefit from reading the Old Testament unless we look for and meditate on the glory of Christ in its pages. Amen? Amen. Do you need another cup of coffee? Oh, okay. We're coming home here. Um, I think, the, as I said earlier, I think the Bible is designed to put us to work. 
you know I mean this it, it, it is um, and, that, and I started with this so that the man of God or the person of God or the human the man or woman of God may be completely fully equipped for every good work my dream for this community as we read this book is we become a more impactful community you hear the Spirit prompting you in your heart or in your mind or to say that, and you reach out and you pray for someone or you say something to someone. You know, that, 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 that is, you know, or you do some good deed or action or act of kindness towards someone because you're hearing, you know what, if Jesus was in this situation, I think he would do this. I think this is what Jesus would do. I feel like the Spirit's prompting me to do this. And the problem so many times with our Christianity is we, 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 um, we put it in a little box and we say, okay, for, the early, for, for, for this time, I'm going to listen to God and tune into Him. But as soon as I walk out that door, I, my antenna comes down, my God Wi-Fi turns off, and I tune into something else. Or I tune into when I read the scripture, oh, I had a really good study this morning. And then I close the book. And then I go on with my day, not thy day. And one of the things I hope you get when you read this book is, is yeah, there's an honesty among the author that I find, I find really um, attractive. But, but it's this continuous God, what are you saying to me now? What are you doing now? What are you doing in this situation? I was trying to, uh, well, it didn't work, but anyway. Um, you, my, my wife recently had jury duty. And, and, I, and I wanted to say, I hope she's watching, but we had grandkids over this morning. Um, uh, I wanted to say, well, why did God give you jury duty? Is there a person he wants you to talk to? Is there something he wants to do in you? I mean, you didn't ask for this. <laughs> well, you did when you registered to vote. But, um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, how can I register to vote? How can I unregister? You know, hey, Jerry Duty. But, um, but the reality is, is every, every one of those little situations, every one of those little situations is an opportunity for God to use you. And we need to be asking God, okay, this happened. This wasn't what I thought was going to happen. What are you doing here? And then you open that whole thing up to listening to the voice of Jesus. Do you see how that does that? That when you start to say, God, okay, what's this about now? I, I pictured it being this way, but now it's this way. And then you begin to bring God in. Do you know what happens? You start to hear his voice. You start to be his sheep. And he can nudge you and lead you. He might, he might have just said, you know, I, I just brought you here so you could have some time of solitude. You sit and enjoy me. You know, I brought you here because I really want you to do something for this person. Because the Bible is, is the thing that causes us. It's the fuel that causes us to work. I like what St. Augustine said. The Bible is shallow enough for a child not to drown, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. And John Wesley said it this way. He says, I want the whole Christ for my Savior. The whole Bible for my book. The whole church for my fellowship. And the whole world for my mission field. 
and I came uh, back from this mission trip, and, and Chris was there too. Chris is, if you don't know Chris, she's got this wonderful heart for missions, and I told her I'm, I'm going to visit these guys, and, and they're like, and she's like, I think I can go too. And was even able to uh, change her schedule, and, and she's been there a number of times. It was really cool because some of the guys hadn't seen Chris in five years, and they pull up pictures of five years ago was a five-year younger Chris, and they're like, that's you, right? And she's like, yes, that, that, that's me, and, and, uh, and so yeah, there's this, almost like this continued fellowship that goes on, like, you love us and care about us enough to show up again, and one of the things I did is, is I just asked these guys to, to tell me their story, you know, I, and I wanted to hear all the little details, that they, we, we sent the one guy out, he was here, we were having revival meetings, and he went down to Pensacola and went to a Bible school with a guy named Dr. Michael Brown down there where these revivals were happening. He, he met this guy outside of a bar on the street, and he came to Jesus, and God did something. He knit their hearts together. And, and, they, and they told me this after they both of them ended up going to some kind of Bible school and uh, and. And uh, they, they told me they were back here in Olmstead Falls. And, and it was a powerful part of their story. And, and they, they were sitting, they, they, were, they were, I don't, can't remember if they were praying or worshiping. And these guys pray for, for more people than I've ever met. I mean, if you go walk with them, you're going to be stopping and praying for people. You know, we went to a 7-Eleven to get coffee and to use the bathroom. I go in and come out of the bathroom, and they're buying their coffee, praying for the lady at the cash register. We walk out of the 7-Eleven, and there's a guy that's got like a vest on, I think, and he was telling us, you need a mask, you need a mask. You need a mask for a 7-Eleven across the border. I was like, what's up with that? I'll hold my breath. Anyway, um, but, but he's telling us, you need a mask, and he's, I, he's probably homeless. And so, instead, of, I'm walking to the car, and they stop and bend down, give him some change, and start to pray for him and lay hands on him. And, and I, I was so moved by that, by their work, by their simple acts. I, we had a, I met a missionary through a family in our church. She's, she's, uh, she's Dutch, and she's worked with uh, female trafficked uh, victims around the world, and she was recently, uh, six weeks before they shut things, the financial systems in Russia, she was working with youth with a mission in Russia, and she had to get out. She was back in the States, and I met her, and I said, and I just felt this prompting. I said, well, we're going, we're going to go on vacation. Would you like a, a place to stay? I remember coming back to my wife going, hey, I invited this missionary to stay in our house. She goes, who, who is she? Well, I just met her. You just met her and you invited her? Yeah, I have a really good feeling about her. And, uh, and, and she's like, well, I sure hope I do. I go, I think you will. Uh, so she got to meet her like a day before. The, but I, so I go, go down. She was, taking, she was t taking a bus to Cleveland. I go down to the bus station and, and uh, I'm waiting for her. It was really funny. It was during the Labor Day weekend, the air show. And... Um, but while I'm waiting there, this homeless guy comes up to me, and he wants money. And I'm like, well, okay, I got a bunch of change here. You can have some change. And I give him some change. But I said, come here. And he comes close to the window. And I said, I said I'm a pastor. And believe it or not, I'm, gonna, I'm picking up a missionary here at the bus station. Can I pray for you? And he stops. And he lets me touch him and pray for him. 
And he looks at me when we're done. He goes, thank you, Pastor. And I was just like, you know what? These two missionaries, and believe it or not, I was asking, how many churches have you guys connected to or planted? He goes, they have close to 70 churches in Mexico. They have three rehabs in different places in the country. They have an orphanage. Because two single guys had this experience, and I just was going to tell you about it, in Olmstead Falls. So they're telling me their story, and they pull off to this little park. I think the one that has a little basketball court there in Olmstead Falls. And the, they said the Holy Spirit was so heavy on them, they were weeping and crying. And he said it was so powerful, both of us knew God was calling us to a life of celibacy. And they both committed at that time to be celibate for the kingdom. And they have started works in Israel. They've got a new one in Appalachia. They've got it in other, some other um, uh, southern uh, countries in, in uh, south of Mexico. I think there's something they're going on in Brazil and some other countries. They've got one work in India. And, and they, they never would have been able to do what they did unless God said, set yourselves apart. You see, when God's word spoke to them, he spoke to them so they could get busy. You know, as a married man and a father and a grandfather, I could never have planted. I'm, I'm like happy I planted a few, you know, a couple churches. I said, how many, I don't know, close, I don't know, 68, something like that. I mean, just like, What? 20 years, you've, oh, yeah. No, Pastor, we can't do it all. We have to raise up other people to help. And, and, I, and I said, you guys have a tremendous gift for seeing gifts in people and releasing them into the ministry. And that's, that's what God does when we hear him and we follow. Because his word is designed to empower us to do, not just like big-headed creatures full of Bible knowledge, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And let me show you one of my favorite quotes from the book, and I took a picture of it, so you'll have to read the book and find it, okay? But I'm going to read it from there, and I know you can't read it, but I can. Well, Scott, you probably could. So it, it, I love this. It says, a survey of 40,000 people aged between 8 and 80. So that's our kids' ministry and Bobby G, okay? If you don't know Bobby G, just find the yeah baby. Okay, and um, 8 and 80 discovered that reading the Bible has a profound effect on both our mental and spiritual growth, mental health and spiritual growth, but only if it's done at least four times a week. Once or twice a week provides a negligible benefit. Three times results in only a slight improvement, but among those who study the Bible at least four times a week, there's a dramatic inflection point, a sharp uplift in their mental and spiritual well-being. In fact, these regular Bible readers are 30% less likely to feel lonely. Wonder who they feel likes with them, huh? 30% less likely to feel lonely, 32% less prone to anger issues, 60% less likely to report feelings of spiritual stagnation. And 228% more likely to be active in sharing their faith. 
You know, over the years, I've had a lot of people leave churches that I've pastored because they tell me they're not getting fed. And, and you want to say, you know what? When the baby's young, you feed it. But after a certain age, it learns to feed itself. And if people are only living on a diet of Sunday morning sermon, I'm sorry. You're, you're going to be starving. Try eating once a week. Give yourself like one hour. Eat all you want. And don't eat the rest of the week. See what happens. You could popularize a new diet program. Make lots of money. You, you won't survive. And the beautiful thing about this is that in the end of this study, it says that God's word got people busy. Do you see? Do you see why we call it alive? Do you see it's intended to make us work? And, and so I just want to leave you with this one statement. Read it for life. And that means read it all your life. But read it for real life. Because God wants to give us his word and it produces life in us. And that life impacts others. Is that a good enough message for this Sunday? Let's stand up and pray together. And when I preach the word of God, you do know that I'm preaching it to myself like you guys because I need God's word in my life. Let's pray together. Lord, there's a lot of people in the world that are persecuted because they name your name. Bibles banned and taken away because they're afraid of the power. And then we live in a country where you can download, who knows, hundreds, maybe, who knows, maybe even more Bibles in other languages. And most of us who name your name just dip our toe in it. And I, I pray, God, that there could be true conviction from your word that we could at least feed four times a week. We could, we could become people that don't want to get puffed up in knowledge, but want to get busy hearing your voice and following. And God, we can't make that happen. We can read your word. We can listen to you through it. You can speak it to us. But we need you. We need you. And I, I don't know what's going to happen in prayer ministry this, this week, but I'd like our prayer team to come forward. And, and uh, I, I've just realized that there's so many people in this community that have so many deep needs that only God can meet. And I, and I, I just want you to just take availability of these prayer people. That's only one. Can we have more prayer people come up? There we go. Thank you. We need a couple more. If you've been trained, you can come up. I, I'll do more trainings. And if you feel prompted as you, you know, someone say, can I pray for somebody else in this community? Of course, yes. If you feel led to ask somebody a prayer, there's, there's no like, that's not against the, the rules. That's what the church does. I, just, I have this sense that there have been people that have been listening to the wrong voice as we start into prayer ministry. 
a voice that brings division, uh, division in marriages, division in relationships, uh, a voice that lies. There are those here that have received a different voice about their identity, who they are in Jesus. And one of the things that God's word does when it's living and active, it realigns our thinking and it shows us the right way to think. So yeah, if you've been listening to the wrong voice, you could, could even be a, a bad spirit, some kind of spirits behind that voice. And, and then you need to come, come forward and get prayer. And you know because there's a relational issue, you know because there's an identity issue, and, and there's no shame here. We all need each other. We all need each other. So you can come forward and get prayer. Guys, I just ask you to close your eyes, and I, I want to pray a confession for us, and, and I, I just want to say, Jesus, forgive us, because I, I, and I know we, have taken your word for granted. You're, we're, we're like the, the person that one years ago said to me, he said, I believe everything in God's word. Why do I have to read it? I mean, we, we just take it for granted. Show us how we're supposed to feed ourselves. Help us develop these simple rules of life, these simple patterns of behavior. And give us the humility to go for prayer, Lord, today. Just give us that humility to say, hey, pray for me. We say, come Holy Spirit, this is your place. We're desperate for you, we're needy. Some of you got prompting to just walk forward and get some prayer. Don't be shy. Just go for just go for it. Always take someone to break the ice. Let me give you a blessing, and I, I know that some of you are called to get prayer, but let me give you a blessing. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his favor, his very countenance on you. And give you peace. I'm going to say that again. Are you ready to catch it? And give you peace. Amen. All right, don't, don't hoard it to yourself. Share it with others. Prayer team is open.